Marky Barrett, Kevin the Chef Trevine, the Jerry is in the house, and on the line today, Mike Brand. Mike, how you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. As a fan of the show, it's uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys. Thanks for listening. Mike? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, it's great. It's a great show. You guys are doing a great job. Well, thanks, Mike. Right now, you are down in San Antonio. Your your stickhead brothering are wondering what you're up to, so we thought we'd bring you on here. You're the development development specialist down in the University of Texas, San Antonio. How's it going down there in Texas? It's doing great, although I think it might be colder here than it is where you are right now. A little cold front here, but uh, yeah, things are great down here. Um, been living here about five years in Texas, and uh, yeah, it's uh, things are good. Every time you look at Mike on social media, Marky, it seems like it's popping up that he's got another another gig from being a national coach. He was in England. He, now he's in Texas. He's always he's coaching a team called the Tacos. It, it's been fun to watch you from afar, Mike. That you've really kept with the sport you love. Yeah, it's uh, something that I just kind of fell in love with when I was really young, and kind of wasn't that good at football or basketball, so. Tried to find a niche for it that I could be successful in, I suppose. And it, it kind of found me more than I found it. But, uh, yeah, it's taken me all over the world. And as some of your, uh, your co-hosts there can attest to, I'm really not that good at lacrosse. So it uh, just goes to show what you can do even if you're terrible. Well, you love the game and you're, you're a student of the game and you like to spread it around and share your knowledge. That starts in grand- – when did you start playing lacrosse? Well, luckily, our town had a team since 1979. Uh, one of the, I think, probably third or fourth team in Western New York. And I had an older brother who's uh, nine years older than me who played. So that was essentially how it got introduced into my life. And when he was, you know, going out with his buddies, I would go steal the stick out of his room or out of the garage and mess around with it. And that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, I mean, you're a graduate of Grand Island in 1997. Like you said, you, you have an Orchard Park, uh, you, you know, the Natives have a team, Grand Island has a team. I didn't start seeing lacrosse in South Buffalo until probably the early 90s through Kevin Rubzinski and guys like Mike McGuire that you played against. Talk about starting a program and developing the sport in Western New York. Well, it's, it's kind of crazy. I think that Western New York has always, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but it's always kind of been – a step or two behind the rest of, you know, upstate New York and especially Long Island. And it was, it was even new to us, you know, whereas now it's being introduced to kids here in Texas or California and it's not really new to them anymore either. So the game just kind of really, we were, we, we grew up in the era where it, it blew up essentially. And now it's you know like one of the fastest growing sports in the country and in the world. And uh, it's if you watch a game or play a game, it's easy to see why uh, you know people get hooked on it. Because, like I said, I think it, a lot of it has to do with you don't have to be the tallest guy, fastest guy, um, biggest guy, but you can get away with it. And there's especially some guys where you grew up who certainly weren't the biggest guys who had a lot more success, you know, especially playing in college than guys that um, you know have been playing a long time. So it's a great sport that you can pick up fast, and it doesn't matter. You know what? What level of skill you have? Well, I mean, you guys laid the groundwork. 
I couldn't remember a time that guys weren't just walking around the neighborhood with lacrosse sticks or telling you to play wall ball. Yeah. Well, the the the, the plan is to make it cool, right? So the rest of the kids in your neighborhood think it's a cool thing to do, and then you, then in years later, the team develops and your high school team gets a lot better. So it kind of became a cool thing in my town, and I assume you know I can guarantee in your town as well. So that kind of makes it get a lot bigger. I do remember walking around with my stick and uh, actually having some girls tell me sometimes to just leave the stick at home. Uh, I didn't need it at nine o'clock at night. I'm on a golf course. <laughs> um, are you still as passionate about the game as you were when you began coaching or is it just a job or is it still something you um, actively seek to grow? I think this once it, it's certain certainly several times it has given me no passion or you know what I mean like where I'm in like ah you know what would I what could I be without having without doing this but then you kind of get reignited as every season starts right or as every fall ball starts or you start to do different things that's why you got to kind of keep it different but uh coaching down here there's so many new kids and it's growing so fast and there's so many opportunities for uh you know steps to take that it's excited to see these next steps and I think that creates a passion and that uh, makes me love it in new ways with each, you know, kind of step you take. How's it, uh, what's it like trying to get these kids who may have not even heard of lacrosse to invest uh, their time and energy into, you know, uh, starting to play lacrosse and uh, trying to find, like you said, a niche sport, something that they can do uh, right through college? Um, or is that not the goal down there? Oh, definitely. It's obviously the goal. And um, I think the way to get them uh, to play, obviously, is through their friends, like I talked about earlier, make it cool and have, uh, you know, give them a chance to see it. If it's not in their face, sometimes they won't gravitate towards it. But if it's something they see and they kind of get close to it, they, a lot of guys will want to try it. And that helps a lot with obviously recruitment. Uh, and I think, you know, down here, the schools are so much bigger than they are where where you guys are from. And there's a lot of opportunities for kids that maybe you'll get a little bit more undersized and can't play on a big time Texas high school football team. And it gives them a chance to still be physical and still be, uh, you know, be an athlete and be part of a team and have fun and be successful. Mike, you, you were born on St. Patrick's day, which you, you know, you obviously self Buffalo is <laughs> going to embrace you when we find that out. What was it like meeting, the South Buffalo guys that were kind of new to the sport. And he, here you are. Now you got a whole new group of friends through a sport you love. Uh, so, yeah, I met those guys. And then we, uh, I met Tim while we were still in high school. And then when we got to college, my second year, Tim and obviously Greg Gaskin as well showed up and kind of built connections. Cause we, when we were at Herkimer, which unfortunately Jimbo, you had the uh, displeasure of visiting that town, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think we were the only kind of Buffalo, Western New York guys there. And, uh, you know, that made us friends. We've kind of been friends since. But, yeah, and then in regards to, the, the you know, the town, your part of town, if you look at that lacrosse team and that lacrosse program, it went from very quickly from being kind of bad to, like, the fastest ascendancy to, you know, like being one of the best teams in the state in a very short period of time. So there was a rapid – growth and the love of lacrosse there was huge guys always wanted to play guys always wanted to uh 
uh, compete, and that I, I think I kind of gravitated towards that. I didn't know a lot about the sport, and obviously I, I took it up. I was a hockey player. I didn't like running, so I wasn't playing. I never really picked up a stick, but what a what a game. Out of nowhere, I became a huge fan, and we used to do half-day shots and then go watch the boys play uh, high school lacrosse. And we, I remember, I remember seeing you. Somebody else brought it up to me yesterday. Um, Mike Brand played lacrosse with sunglasses on oh yeah sure of course <laughs> hey look good play good like well, Jimbo, we when say. we when we wore when we wore helmets that were akin to uh you know star wars soldiers we uh <laughs> you, you could you could fit a pair of sunglasses under there and a, a saturday morning practice with the sun in your face it helps you out i'm no you know i wish i could afford a uh, ladanian tomlinson you know visor but that's not happening so what was your record against Timon? Oh wow, that's a that's a hot question. <laughs> um, I think it's three and zero. But let's be honest, I think my high school's record against them is not uh, a winning record. So we'll just put it that way. Tim, how do you feel about that? How many of those games did you play in? Uh, what did I play against you? Three times. I think so. Yeah. And the one game went into OT, and Dahmer didn't have his mouthpiece in. That's and, illegal. And that was illegal when he scored that goal. And that was the OT victory. He didn't have his mouthpiece in. Heard it here and, first. And in all honesty, we had three midfielders playing against the team all day. And we just were done. And Dahmer is an absolute beast and <laughs> won that game. And yeah. we were also down a defenseman. Dahmer, for those of you guys who don't know, is a former professional box lacrosse player and also won a couple national championships at Adelphi College. He is no small man, um, and I don't think no. if he was sitting here that Tim would take this issue up with him. <laughs> no, no, no. He has a ring at every level, and he's a, he's probably one of the coolest people ever. So, I, I, I mean, I would tell him that that goal shouldn't have counted. But we yeah, just stopped playing because we you got, dead. You... You got your uh, you got your win the next year though, didn't you? Your senior year. Oh yeah, I Grand scored Island, six so. goals against you guys. Yeah, probably didn't lose a face off. Yeah. So ninety nine, I meet you, and it's the weirdest time that I've ever. Not really that weird, but I don't watch basketball. I'm watching a national championship game with a guy named Mike Brand. We're watching Elton Brand. I'm rooting for Elton Brand, Mark. <sighs> To win a national championship because I'm sitting next to Mike Brand. <laughs> He's the uh, GM of the Sixers now, believe it or not. So maybe I can get a get on their roster, Jimbo. <laughs> not with that Knicks tattoo on your leg, you can't. <laughs> yeah. What's up with the Knicks and the Spurs? They're they're both basketball teams. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is a big big Knicks fan. Every time we, people always tease him, and now we've heard you're a big uh, Spurs fan down there in uh, Texas now. You... Well, I'm not the only 18-year-old to get a bad tattoo. Let's put it back, okay? <laughs> so tell tell the listeners, when you go to a place like Herkimer, it's more of like a stepping stone. You want to get to the next level. You want you, you don't you want to make Syracuse or another team. How does that go down when you're picking your college? Tell these young lacrosse players, and we got a lot of them, how that works, the stepping stone with colleges out of high school. Well, it's funny. It's just like that uh, Netflix show about the JUCO football teams, uh, you know, Last Chance You. It's kind of the same thing. But th that 
uh, the, the JUCO route isn't really as big, I don't think, anymore, uh, especially since the game has gotten national. There's, there's so many colleges now that are adding lacrosse to add, uh, you know, enrollment at their schools that there's a place for everyone. Uh, I tell kids on my teams every year, every single kid on my team, if they wanted to play college lacrosse, they could find a spot, whether that's club or, uh, you know, Division Three, or, or there's just so many different schools. There's schools that are, they don't have enough kids on their teams because <clears throat> they've, you know, there's just so many, it's kind of saturated with so many teams or they're in uh, very, you know, places that high school across isn't huge uh, in a college town. So it's hard to get kids to come there. So I don't know, the JUCO route, obviously for Tim, Greg and I, um, <clears throat> it was an option to try to, you know, like I said, take that next step. But I, from my personal experience, it was just from a lack of, uh, you know, being a good student in high school. Uh, I, you know, I, I really couldn't add anywhere else to go. And it was either ECC, NCC, or Erie and Niagara, or go away to school because that's what I wanted to do and go to Herkimer. So that's where we ended up. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a good two years. I think we both played a little, all played a little college cross after that. And yep. It was a good time. I think OCC is still a, a hot school to send. You know, they're still doing it at the JUCO level. They're still st- sending those kids to, you know, Albany. They're playing for the Iroquois national team or going right to the NLL. So I think that they're, that OCC team is still uh, a, like a hot route in JUCO. Yeah, but I just think it's the it's like the only when we were there, a lot of JUCOs were sending kids to you know d3s and d2s and d1s but now i don't i don't hear about as many other kids from other jucos and i could just right. be looking in the wrong places but i think it's the juco landscape has changed a lot since we were there so after herkimer you bounce around you you buff state lacrosse you end up going to the final four tell us tell us <laughs> how you hoodwink that, that little uh, excursion well my biggest fear on the show was to not incriminate myself in anything so I'm going to, uh, I'll try to tell the story as, uh, as innocently as I can tell it. We, uh, were the Buffalo state. We weren't even allowed to be called the Bengals. You know, calling us the bad news bears, it would be an understatement. Usually most of the games, half the guys didn't even go to the school. Um, and then we, I remember one year we played three games the whole season and two were on one day. And, uh, at the end of the year, we, we rented a couple of vans and some, I think hotels and went to uh, the final four, but it wasn't our final four. It was the real final four. <laughs> yeah. That was a great weekend. And, <laughs> and half the guys on that trip, I don't think went to the school. So no, I, I was know. on that trip. Uh, I didn't go to the am school. I gonna, am I going to get my bachelor's reset because of this uh, podcast or what? <laughs> no, since you weren't allowed to call yourself the Bengals, I don't think buff state can, uh, can take your accreditation away from you. Sure. Yeah, you know who was one, an, another all-time great Buff State lacrosse player, Bob Whalen. Oh yeah, Bob, Bobby's got a lot going on. We'll we'll, we'll have him in the studio. Tell us a little about the experiences of interning up at MSG. Yeah, so I got a broadcasting degree from Buff State, and I uh, thought I wanted to work in television, and somehow, some way, pretty much a just filled out an email or. A, sent in my resume and got a internship at MSG Network, which is in the 
third floor of Madison Square Garden, which is above Penn Station in New York City, and worked Rangers games, Knicks games, Mets games, um, some college sports. Um, so it was it was fun. I was there for about you know four or five months, I think, and got it, got full access to the arena. Saw some concerts I wasn't supposed to be at, and uh, a bunch of different you know things would just show up when you were at work every day. Um, but ultimately, it, it's a it's a union town, so the interns couldn't touch any of the equipment, and that's what I really wanted to kind of dig into. And that you're not allowed to uh, work any of the equipment. So essentially, I was a glorified lunch guy. You know what I mean? Grabbing lunch. So and, even a glorified uh, lunch guy um, probably sees some pretty cool stuff while he's at. Oh MSG. sure. What was the uh, what was the coolest thing you weren't supposed to see that you actually got to see, or somebody you met maybe? Well, I was traveling through from Long Island to New Jersey, and you go through Penn Station, and I just walked up with my badge on and watched Radiohead play for like an hour with a backpack on. Uh, one time, with Jay Z, uh, Magic Johnson gave me a fist bump and didn't even look me in the face. It was like a no look fist bump, and he like landed it. I've heard, it I, I've, I've heard he's done that from time to time. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, that was, you know, every night there were people there and, uh, I watched a lot of Rangers games and a lot of Knicks games and it was awesome. It was definitely, um, a great memory. I, I'll tell you what, it, it was good to, like, I, I remember talking to you and you, you, you seemed like you were really happy up in MSG cause you're a Knicks fan. You get to, you get to see the boys as much as you can, but then all of a sudden now we're going to England, lacrosse in England. 2005 to 2006, Local Development Officer, English Lacrosse Association, Bath, England. Tell us a little about your experiences in England, Michael. I think a lot of these jobs and uh, trips I've gone on, you'll find there's a correlation between them that none of them are, you know, super duper hard to get, I'll be honest with you. they Sometimes they need people more than I needed the job. But, um, yeah, there's a program called, uh, you know, the ELA, the English Lacrosse Association does where you're a local, the LDO, local development officer. And I lived in a kind of a small town, Grand Islandish town in uh, England. Uh, I was a suburb of a city called Bath. And on Saturdays, I played on the men's teams. And on Mondays through from what they call primary and secondary, but what we call you know, elementary and middle high school, and just teach lacrosse in gym classes uh, and try to kind of have it catch on. The gym teachers will, you know, want someone in there to do their job for them and the lacrosse association pays for all the sticks and stuff and you drive them around and uh yeah that was a blast as well i was there for pretty much a school year was that successful for you was i mean did you turn anybody on to lacrosse did uh did, a, did um, the town develop a program or was it just uh like a, a short gig that you did and then you got out of there well yeah you do a year i think that's the only that's the length of your visa uh you can uh and then they bring in another kid the next year you hit the newspapers another way, though, there. Oh, yeah. So, as everyone knows, you know, England isn't the uh, easiest place to drive, uh, considering that we're on an opposite side of the road in the car, if, you know, you are in the United States, and cars are smaller, and frankly, the roads are older, uh, and driving down a hill into a city, I, my back end skidded out. I was literally going backwards down this road and there was a kind of about a foot and a half high pile of rocks at the side of the road is like a makeshift 
guardrail that flipped my car over, and I was sideways against a tree. Perfectly, the tree was right down the middle, down the sunroof. Uh, hurt myself getting out of the car, but if that tree wasn't there, it was probably I would have rolled down this hill probably thirty to forty times. It was that steep and that that big of a drop. Um, so luckily that tree was there, but but it's a fabled. You know, it was a fabled turn, right? Yes. Yeah, so there, I, I still have the newspaper here, and um, it was a a stretch called Sally in the Woods. And the legend was that there was this woman, Sally, that haunts it, who died on those streets. I don't know how many long, how many hundreds of years ago, or however many years ago. But um, yeah, the, the, if you saw this street and saw that it was 60 miles an hour, you would be shocked. It should be about 30, you know. And a um, little couple minutes late to a, uh, you know, elementary school to teach lacrosse and car was a little old and maybe the tires were a little too bald and skidded out a little bit in the back and almost almost took a tumble it almost re almost renamed that road huh yes brand I would not have I, I, that's not something i want <laughs> brand the bloke <laughs> if they did rename that road <laughs> if they renamed the road would you want it to be named michael brand avenue or brand new boulevard <laughs> Let me think about that. I'll get back to you. Set up a poll. Set up a set up a poll on your Twitter. How does brand new flow like he does? I don't know, Mark. You tell me. <laughs> a lot of guys. A lot of guys know brand because there was a tape going around of brand doing some rap songs, and it wasn't like like hardcore rap. It was, and it wasn't really parody. It, 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 I don't know. I don't like rap music. It was music. real. It was real. I don't like rap music. And I was like, yo, listen, listen, listen. I started talking like that, too. I was like, yo, listen, listen to my boy brand new. He throws touchdown passes to Andre Reid. And it just goes yeah. to show you a lot, a lot of, a lot of coaches have that creative thing that like, what you can do, what? And, and you did what? Yeah. It's tell, like, yeah, tell us about yeah. it. What, how'd it start? Started as Brizzy. Yeah, there. To the listeners who have no idea what they're talking about, they're quoting my former, uh, my my raps from about what 1999, 2000. So those are coming up on 20 years. And <laughs> the statute of limitations uh, is off those records. <laughs> <laughs> we, if you say so. We, we just like to have some fun with you, Mike. I I, I thought they were. I thought they were really. Good. I never thought those tapes were jokes. I I showed them. To my my little brother who's six years younger than me. Next thing you know, uh, him and his buddies are walking around going, "Hey, where where you re still really hang out with that guy, brand new?" I was like, <laughs> you guys heard that? That's awesome. So I, I think the rhymes still hold up. I think oh, they do too. Can I give you my favorite one before he talks about all how it started? It's my so-called life, and I'm Jared Leto, and under my bed I got a sack of Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the funny thing is, is that's not really a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so back to that, you know, I got a broadcasting degree at Buff State and then an associate's broadcasting at Herkimer. <laughs> and so we had we had all this equipment in front of us and a lot of time, and you know, and uh, that's kind of where that started. And I'm sure Tim remembers me making them and having a little setup in my dorm room. And uh, yeah, and then when I got back, to Grand Island after Herkimer, kind of an old friend of mine who we weren't really close to high school and then became really close after college. 
was my man DJ Rara, who uh, put all the beats together, and we would just mess around on a Friday, Saturday night, and made like what ten songs total over like three years, which is not very prolific. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's where. And, and, and since then, I've been regretting it, just like this tattoo. <laughs> who, who was the guy in New York that you did the song with? Uh, so, yeah, so when I was working at MSG, there was a, I was just living in a house with people I didn't know, uh, way out in Long Island, and he was from England, ironically, and he rapped. So, one day we just messed around and made one, made a song. So, it was kind of like my first collab, yo. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was a really good song. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> there was a, there's a live Rapper. show that Tim, Tim was talking about. Yeah, the Laverty show. Yeah, so we did one show at a restaurant bar that has been demolished since, um, probably because of this concert. Uh, but it was a place out on West River, Grand Island, called Laverty's. We used to, that used to be our, our hangout. And we told we told them we were having a concert, and we showed up with all this equipment. They're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and uh, we set up and probably rapped for about 30 minutes. And then just kind of hung out. But, yeah, it was uh, – With a bag I don't know, Tim, if you want to describe how I entered the room, I, I'll let you have the floor. No, I, I mean, that's pretty much it. Brand was was uh, a little nervous, so uh, he grabbed a paper bag and put it over his head, and he did the show with a paper bag on his head. <laughs> if they can't see you, it didn't happen, Tim. Yeah, I love it. was only it. the first song. I, I'm I'm a big fan. Still am. Yeah, I love the tapes. We're gonna be listening to it after we uh, finish up here. So, 2006, 2008, you survived the crash. The tree, you missed the tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted it. So, 2006 to 2008. University of Men's Lacrosse, Dallas, Pennsylvania, graduate assistant. Tell us about Dallas, Pennsylvania. Didn't even know it existed. Not really a geography yeah, it's outside guy. Outside of Wilkes-Barre, outside of Wilkes-Barre, outside, which is outside of Scranton, so it's outside of a lot of things. And uh, got a master's degree, coached D three lacrosse out there, and uh, actually met my wife there. And it was uh, it's a great part of the country, honestly. It reminds me a lot of Western New York. Uh, kind of an old, you know, industrial town that has, you know, nice lakes around it. And uh, uh, it was a good time. A lot of the same type of people out there than there is in Buffalo. And uh, didn't get a chance to see any paper companies like in the office. But that's that's what everyone says when I tell them I went to college. They're like, oh, that's where the office is. I'm like, no, nah, that was probably shot in Los Angeles. Or, or <laughs> they just made it look gloomy. <laughs> it was. But so was Buffalo, no offense. So you met your wife down there, Mike. What was she doing down there at the time? So she was coaching swimming and going to grad school, and I was coaching cross going to grad school. She still uh, coach swimming? She does not, actually. She is a social worker down here in San Antonio. So uh, obviously we have a son, and so it's kind of tough for her to get back in the in the coaching swing. It seems like everywhere you go, you find Bills fans. Yeah, so speaking of, it's kind of getting over the hangover of Saturday's loss or Sunday's loss. We were uh, up in Houston. I'm the president of the San Antonio Bills Backers Club. Which of is course you are. Oh, the president. Uh, 
There's about 400 of us. You know, we usually average about 50 to 70 at a game. Uh, there's an Anchor Bar franchise. There's actually two in San Antonio. Um, so uh, we watch all the Bills games, and uh, last year was pretty awesome. Obviously, our attendance was great, but I am really nervous considering literally minutes ago we just found out our guy Josh Allen will be out for a few weeks. So that uh, may hurt attendance, to say the least. I'm already over it. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> no, that that's got to be cool. Meet meeting people. You've probably wherever you've gone, you've probably run into a couple assholes from Buffalo that that are into the Bills. That that's got to be like, all right, well, all right, I got you. You're kind of looking at each other like, all right, we're on the same page. I I I, f- I feel your pain. Yeah, well, I can't. Yeah, we commiserate together, but I can't lie. I think uh, you know, getting together to watch Bills games, more than half of the reason is just to hang out with and be around other West New York people, and you know, reminisce and talk, and you know, kind of let your accent flow. I suppose. I suppose. But uh, and then the minority of the reason is to watch football because obviously we see what happens. But um, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And there's people from you know, not even Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse. They're from, they grew up in Texas, but their dad's from Buffalo. So it's kind of an inclusive group, and it's just, uh, if you like the Bills, come on over. It's always a joke when we meet someone who's like, no, I just grew up in California, and I'm a Bills fan. I just started liking them. I'm like, wait, you chose this? You had a choice? You had a choice, and you picked this. <laughs> We'd have it no other way, though, you know, Mike? So we're going down, we're going down the line right now, Mike. Head coach... Now Mike Brand is in charge. He's the head coach of the college and am I saying this correctly? Cato Magnet High School, Shreveport? Cato Magnet High School and Centenary College. Okay. So you're coaching a college team and a high school team at the same time? And that shows you how uh, <laughs> how small the lacrosse, lacrosse team was in that city. So now you're down in Louisiana. And nowhere, and nowhere near New Orleans. Nowhere near New Orleans. <laughs> of course, it's not. like when people pe- when people meet you and say, "Oh, you're from Buffalo, New York." Uh, do you ride your bike into Times Square? Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. yeah, you're down in a bayou, Mike. How did no, the... up. You're There's even... no bayou. It's up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Mike. How did the scheduling work for coaching a high school and a college team at the same time? They, did they share the field and everyone practice together? Bu- or did you have to carve out time for each? Well, practice was easy. I would go four to six at the high school and seven to nine at the college. Um, games were uh, – scheduling your game season was always had to be creative because our road trips, we would sometimes have the high school and the college team on the same bus and go and play like a JV game, a varsity game, and then the college game all in the same town. Um, so that was creative. It was fun looking back on it. I think my first semester there – I don't know if it was a uh, nervous breakdown or an anxiety attack, whatever, which one you want to call it, that definitely happened. And it's nice to, you know, uh, look back on that because that uh, as Jimbo alluded to, that was my first time being a head coach and it can be, it can be overwhelming. And uh, anytime I get a little adversity now, I look back at that and realize I don't have any adversity. So uh, coaching in Shreveport was awesome. Still have a lot of friends there going back in December for a wedding. Real excited for that. Uh, it's it's kind of another Buffalo-ish town uh, with a lot of great people. And, 
yeah, I think I learned a lot as a coach there with uh, being in a city that no one's ever heard of that lacrosse was fairly new to. Now, when you get out there where people don't really know lacrosse, and Mike, you're very, uh, you're very tech savvy, you're social media savvy. Are you using any of that to spread the promo the teams at all? Oh yeah, because that's free promotion, right? That's yeah. you, you, you know, even you guys have it with your 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 uh, podcast here, and it's a great idea. It's it's free promotion. It's it's your kind of canvas to get creative with how you. Uh, brand for no for for lack of a better term your your team and your program and kind of showcase it and and give it a culture through um through your social media so uh yeah of course we do a lot of that so you're you're really getting it under you know the head coaching reins talk about how key your assistant coaches are when you're running two programs how, how much are you leaning on these guys, and are they local? Are they players? Do you got a little Reg Dunlop thing going on? How's the, assistant, <laughs> how's the assistants going? Well, yeah, I think on the college team for the a, a year or two, I coached by myself, but let's be honest. I had like 15 guys on my team, so it wasn't hard to manage when 10 of them were on the field, you yeah. know? And um, two of my college guys were then the high school assistants. So uh, that was a great opportunity to kind of put those kids in coaching positions to help them be better players. And that, you know, cause I obviously think I needed assistant coaches that were on the field for the college games more on the sideline. Right. And uh, those kids did, a, those kids did a great job. Just had a uh, bachelor party for my goalie down here at, uh, in San Antonio with a bunch of guys, got a little reunion. So I uh, still talk to those guys all the time. And um, yes. Uh, and then, the last year, I think I took another assistant on, and uh, yeah, those guys keep you sane, right? They're the ones that uh, you're always asking, "Am I doing this right?" or "Would you do something different?" or "What's your, you know, what's your take on it?" And kind of, you know, you don't always want to second guess yourself, but it's nice to get a perspective from uh, somebody else. And sometimes when you're a coach, it, it's it's good to just kind of hang out with the boys, like. Hey guys, what are we doing wrong? Or we're doing everything right, you know. It feels good to have a little more uh, like somebody else is in the foxhole with you. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And they, you know, they get an opportunity to uh, have a different relationship with the players. That's for sure. Uh, as the head coach, everything falls on your shoulders. So I think you have a little bit more of a tendency to uh, be a little more harder on the guys. Uh, because you know the ultimate the result falls on on you as the coach, um, and the assistants are there to make sure the guys don't get too uh, uh, emotional about being, you know, ha- their coaches being hard on them, and they're they're stress relievers of the coaches and the players. Well, well, you're doing all these things right, and there's something that I always loved that you did, and uh, that was keeping the bean eater alive while well, you're doing all these things. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, how you squeeze that in every year. Yeah. So geez, was it the year 2000? I believe um, Marty Reed and, and, and BC has started a tournament down in South Buffalo at the uh, down in the ward. Never been to that part of town before the tournament started. Can't lie to you. Um, and after about what, four or five years, they were like, I we think they got a little, flustered with it and and I was a I was dumb enough to take it off them and kind of kept it going uh, I think the last I'm not trying to I'm trying to think the last one I attended was probably 
14 or 15. Uh, I think it's was taken over by I let another guy run it, and he had it two or three years, and it didn't. I don't think he had one this year. But yeah, it was just a a very very casual and relaxed men's lacrosse tournament in South Buffalo in South Buffalo, and it was like the only one ever in Western New York, really. And uh, after a couple of years, I just stopped getting refs. Uh, repurposed our uh, our profits towards after tournament um, entertainment, and um, it was awesome. I think guys loved it because it was kind of relaxed. You could uh, you didn't have to worry about you know refs making bad calls. You had to play as as much of a gentleman as you could. And uh, I think the uh, you know every year I was so nervous about a absolute riot erupting, but nothing ever really seemed to happen. So. Um, then obviously after every every tournament we would go out and have pizza and wings and and beers at a local uh, pub or bar and uh, it was awesome. So we did about fourteen years. How did you and guys I think keep some that... of the guys in this room went to the most of them? You guys kept it so cool. It seemed like all the best players were always coming. Yeah, because I think they loved the format. Right? They knew they weren't going to have to get hassled. They really didn't care if they won or lost. They just wanted to get a run in, throw the ball around, compete a little bit, and then go, you know, catch up with some friends after the tournament. So uh, it was uh, – that was always the goal. And I think it was the goal to kind of cut corners as well. Um, but it also ended up being a, a uh, kind of a blessing. I rocked uh, a Bean Eater shirt at my second last hip show. So I still oh, got, wow. I still I'm, rock them. I still rock them too, believe it or not. Uh, my, my, uh, I think I have an O, the yellow one. It was like an O six. Still wear it to this day. I was just always thinking about like how Ribs and McGuire and Timmy here they they seem to show up every single year and still put up points and with all the college kids, you know. Yes, that was always fun to see. It was always uh, uh, fun to see guys who hadn't played in a while. Kind of just that's the one time a year they play. And they, you know, you see some flashes of their uh, former greatness, and that was always fun to see. And then, you, you know, you talk about it at the uh, at the bar after for a few hours, and it was always a great day. And then you couldn't move for a month. <laughs> now, the University of Brown contacts you, or you contact them as a volunteer assistant coach, and I give you props for that because when a big university does call you, like, hey do you want to volunteer? Well, yeah, I want to build a resume here. I'm still rocking it in the lacrosse world. Talk about that, Mike. Well, it's funny, Jimbo. The, uh, I, I work their camps every summer and I'm walking up a hill on campus with the assistant coach. And I say, you know, you guys only carry three coaches and you're allowed to carry a fourth and your fourth, uh, has to be a volunteer. Uh, why don't you guys have a volunteer? And the guy's like, why do you want to be our volunteer? And I was like, sure. That's essentially how I became a Division One college coach. Okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how exactly how it happened. Uh, and the other kind of joke I always say was coming from Louisiana now to uh, Division One Ivy League. I went from being maybe the best coach in Louisiana to the worst coach in my office. Um, I was just wondering how you made ends meet because you're uh, you're volunteering. Where did they put you up? How did, what did you do? The uh, to answer your question, Kevin, the, uh, the way you make ends meet is you know being a D- Division One coach. Every high school event in the country wants you at it because they want to advertise that 
Brown University is here watching my kid play, and I always joke that they didn't really want Mike Brand. They wanted Mike Brand's polo shirt to be there. Okay, I could put I could put it on a scarecrow, and it would probably get the same traction as if I was actually there. Um, and uh, I would I would get made fun of in the office because I would be on the road every single weekend. And trust me, it wasn't rough getting flown out to Vegas to work a tournament. Um, <laughs> but that's that's how you do it, and that's how a lot of these college coaches do it. Um, some of them in the volunteer position can make high five figures, a hundred grand if you work hard enough, if you hustle enough with camps and tournaments, and and uh, uh, you know, kind of doing extra stuff, private lessons, etc. So there's uh, there's opportunities out there for sure. Another hustler, Marky. Of course. Where do, how do we yeah. find them all, Mark? <laughs> you gravitate towards them. How long are you hanging out in Brown? Are are you getting other offers? Are you satisfied? Obviously not satisfied because you're not getting paid, but you're hustling. Where does that go? Where do you go from there? I was there for a year. Had a little cup of coffee. I call it my year in residence. Bad pay, long hours, learning a lot. Uh. After the year, I decide, you know, first to get to Rhode Island, I have to propose to my girlfriend because oh. she's not happy that I'm I'm leaving Shreveport and going to Providence, Rhode Island to chase this Division One job. So we get engaged, and after the year, I we decide to move to Texas and get married. And I kind of absorbed that year at Brown as a Division One learning experience, and decided to take another path. And I'm sure you're going to talk about that, aren't you, Jim? You end up as a head lacrosse coach at Texas State University, 2012 to 2015. Mike listens to the show. He knows how that's going to go. <laughs> so now is everything big in Texas or what? What's going on in yes. Texas lacrosse? Completely. I, w- I was lucky enough to find myself at one of, if not the most beautiful universities in the country. And I, I do not hesitate to say that it's in, San Marcos, Texas, which is exactly in between Austin and San Antonio. Uh, it's about 40,000 students on the side of a hill with a spring-fed river that runs through the middle of campus, 71 degrees every day of the year. Uh, it's For a guy like me, it wouldn't have been hard to get into that school, which is uh, not a knock on the school, but it's for, uh, you know, it's, it's, for, it's, a, it's a Buff State type of crowd. And uh, had a beautiful facility that shared with the girls varsity soccer team. And it was a school I could recruit to. So I found a lot of kids to come and play there. Uh, got a kid from Victoria, British Columbia to come out and play. Uh, had a kid from California on the team, which was kind of rare that out-of-state kids were coming to the school. Because I tell you that it's the biggest and best school that no one's ever heard of. If you see the school, you, your, your jaw would drop. Um, and we ended up having a really good team and made it to the conference championship every year. And then finally the last year, 2015, we uh, won the Lone Star Alliance championship and made it to the national tournament. So it was a, uh, an awesome run in San Marcos and uh, one of my favorite coaching jobs in my entire career. Well, spe- speaking of national, all of a sudden Thailand's calling you. You're the, you're the Thailand national team assistant coach. <laughs> How the hell does that happen? That that fat I know all, everything, and I've known you for a while, Mike. That fascinated me. Yeah, that was another kind of you know just knowing the right people. I suppose a friend of mine was a head coach. 
Uh, his buddy, who was another friend of mine, was the assistant coach, and I was the third guy on the staff. And um, Of course, I said yes to that. Uh, lived in the dorms at the University of Denver for two weeks and coached in the World Lacrosse uh, Championships. It was uh, definitely a once-in-a-lifetime experience and got to learn a lot about the Thai culture. Got uh, confused for Taiwan a lot, which, uh, <laughs> which was funny. But, um, yeah, overall awesome experience and getting to watch all the other teams and kind of being a part of it was such an honor and definitely a huge top-of-my-bucket-list uh, you know, moment in my career. So, uh, yeah, that was a blast. Were the uh, communication barriers the hardest part of that experience? Sure. Well, up front, if it's your first year in the World Games, they allow you some uh, leeway on which guys are, um, you know, American-born with grandparents or have American passport but have grandparents uh, or parents. Uh, and then there were some guys that you have to have so many passport holders, right? So. Uh, we didn't have to have a lot of passport holders because it was our first time in. So a lot of the kids were American guys who, or Canadian or uh, that had Thai backgrounds. And um, so that wasn't a problem, but that was, uh, that made it a lot easier. But there were a handful of guys that were uh, from Thailand and had never been outside of the country before and picked up lacrosse there. So their first lacrosse experience was being in this massive tournament in Denver with guys all the way up to NLL guys in it. So it was a lot of fun. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah. So, Mike, let's get a little bit lighter. What are you listening to these days? Oh, yeah, what am I listening to these days? Uh, you know what? As, as you guys remember, I was the king of having a hard drive of millions of songs. And I yeah, feel man. like now that I have – Amazing. Now that I have, a stre- now that I have a streaming service, I find that there's nothing on. You know, I have every song now in my phone. And I can't find anything to watch. I mean, to, to listen to. I apologize, but um, um, I mean, are, I you got to go by what Gord says. Don't try to be up to date. You know, it's, it's too right. Tight. Of you course, gotta... I actually the the sad day that Gordon Downey uh, passed away. One of the first guys I text was Mike Brand because back in the day, Mike had all you know. Hey, did you ever hear this unreleased song from Road Apples? or the up-to-here demo. Like, Mike had a lot of that stuff. So I I know what he's talking about with with the songs. He did literally have almost everything. Everything. I mean, that's how I learned about most music. Tim would always dig into Brand's hard drive and dig something up and be like, you ever hear these guys? Like, no. <laughs> We'd never hear these people. I, I still do that with a copy of your old hard drive. <laughs> yeah, I need a copy of that hard drive. My brother-in-law lost it on me. That thing I think was- at some point we... I think at some point we just need to put it on a cloud somewhere and you can access it wherever you are. But that's, that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, who, you know, I've been, I, I haven't been listening to anything that recent, either nineties and eighties Canadian music or like eighties and seventies English music or like the grateful dead. Those are the three things I listen to. Um, I've been listening to level and, up, listen to level up, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Exploding Hearts, those guys, uh, they, uh, a couple of them died in a bus crash. But, man, they, I think their music still holds. Check those guys out. Okay. See, I, I'm never not listening to George Harrison. Uh, little, the Style Council, I've been listening to them a lot. XTC, I've been listening to them a lot lately. Um, uh, the The, it's 
pretty high up there right now. Oh yeah, so, yeah. A lot of lot of lot of old stuff. I feel like I'm hitting that age now where I just can't find any current cool music. It's hard to. I've been listening to Hayden. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, you guys. I I was listening to Louis Prima the other day. I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that Mike, Michael, you keep on coaching. You keep on building the resume. You're the head lacrosse coach of Reagan High School in San Antonio. How does that come up? Where, who you know? Where are you going? So after my three years in San Marcos at Texas State, uh, I had been commuting my last two years from San Antonio. So it was about a 50-minute commute from my office to the field. And the high school opportunity opened up, and it gave me a chance to uh, have – a little more time with my family because I didn't have that long drive and I didn't wouldn't have to travel as much for games. Uh, and um, sometimes in the state of Texas, and uh, you know, the uh, high school lacrosse coaches are taken care of a little bit better than the college coaches. To be honest with you, uh, unlike New York, a lot all of the high school teams besides the private schools are run by you know club teams. I remember. I know Grand Island has a fed hockey team now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jimbo. No, yeah. When they I do. was in high school, when I was in high school, it was all club, right? So my right. brother had to pay for the ice, pay for his gear, pay for his transportation to the rink, and uh, that's how lacrosse still is in Texas. Um, the state isn't anywhere near accepting the, the sport as a state-sanctioned sport, so we kind of operate on a club basis, which can provide some pros and cons to the experience if that makes sense well you guys down in texas contact contact your uh local politicians tell them that needs to change i think it needs to change <laughs> you know mike along the way you know you're running camps and you're coaching here you're coaching there you ever run into uh, you know any players you know guys might know the gate brothers uh johnny Tavares, guy college prospects who who are you running into? Who are you rubbing shoulders with? I'm, I think the guy I probably rub the, the shoulders with the most these days is uh, time and Greg Connor Fields. His uh, I saw him at a couple tournaments the last couple of years. Uh, his, his father's actually a Grand Island guy, so I'm I become good friends with him. And um, but you know the you know you see the uh, the kind of superstars of lacrosse when we go to our national convention every year. And um, so and those guys are really accessible. Obviously, there's big men's tournaments uh, around the country that are uh, it, it's still kind of our thing if that makes sense that you can that these guys are accessible and you can go to tournaments and see them and play against them and uh, uh, they're kind of down they're you know they're very down-to-earth guys because they're not you know million dollar athletes they're just uh, guys that love the game um, so yeah I used to hate the fucking gate brothers because I was I was one, <laughs> the inaugural bandit season me, Mike McGuire, and Mr. McGuire, we went to all the games. And I don't know who has the – Johnny Tavares threw a water bottle. I think Mike, Mike probably still has it. But I fucking hated the Gate Brothers. Uh, and I, I also hated when they used to go, Cowley, when he would make the save. <laughs> Russ Cowley, am I, am I, am I right? The sure, they had a couple guys. Yeah, they had a couple guys. Cowley and Gary they used to scream that for. But I think the uh, – the Bandits might have the best lacrosse uh, tradition and experience in uh, especially indoor lacrosse, professional indoor lacrosse. Uh, and I think that going back to your way earlier question, I think that was a 
that had a lot to do with the uh, rapid growth of field lacrosse in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and I know going to Bandits games in Jimbo, man, uh, you know, in between the whistles, it's nobody's friendly, but after the game, you're friends again. So I'm shocked you're getting emotional over the Gate Brothers when, as a hockey guy, you should know that uh, uh, they're, you know, they're, the they're game, like you, the, the, the uh, Stefan Richet of the lacrosse. Yeah, I just hate, I hate those Cam Neely <laughs> and the Gate Brothers. I remember the, you know, I'm, I remember the auditorium and I remember lacrosse in the auditorium and I'll tell you what, I don't even know about field lacrosse then, Mark. I like yeah. I like field lacrosse better than indoor. Yeah. I, think I don't it, know. I, I, the indoor game is so awesome. Like, the, the Sabres fans have to go to a Bandits game and learn, but they're just too above it, you know? I think Everybody's got to go Mike, and right, learn how to be a fan from the Bandits, guys, because I went to that yeah. place. It was silent. It stunk. Mike, you should see it up here. It's more exciting a Bandits game than a Sabre game. I don't know who... The marketing genius is up. They they might have to call you back up. It is a funeral home in there. It, it's for Bandits games or Sabres games. For Sabre games, I think it's a better fan well, experience to go to a Bandits game right now than a Sabre game. Well, well, Jimbo, there's probably a better product on the floor, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I just don't. don't th- I don't follow hockey at all, but the Sabres, <laughs> I know one thing: have not been good as of late. So we just had a guy on. Um, He's playing junior hockey, and he was talking about how camps sometimes are, you know, a scam or whatever. What's your advice to a young player when it comes to camps and paying and and things like that? Yeah, that's the hardest part of this whole whole experience because every year there's a new set of parents who are brand new to lacrosse, and they'll get an email that's worded correctly or worded weirdly or has a good design and a great website, and they think, wow, my son's going to get recruited. When in fact, I would say the majority of them are obviously to, you know, take a profit. Um, and, and it's hard, it's really hard to navigate and find the right events to go to and the right, um, you know, style of camp or clinic. Or, uh, you know, a lot of the older coaches say that the, you know, instructional camps of years before where you were doing drills for like a week straight uh, are now gone because kids are picking to just play on travel teams and just do tournament after tournament and never really get any development. Um, but they're getting a lot of playing time, which now a lot of guys argue you learn by playing games. So there's two kind of camps on that, but it's changed a lot. And with the growth of the players, how many players there are playing, there's going to be more tournaments, more coaches, more guys trying to, you know, make a profit. And uh, like I said, it's really hard to navigate. And sometimes without a, a reference, you, you have no idea what you're getting into. So uh, I, I always have always said, and I think Tim there can agree with me, I, I think we're missing a huge opportunity as just not sending your kid to go play Fox in Canada. Absorb the bridge, the, the toll money, you know, and go play. Yeah, the amount of uh, reservation lacrosse that you could go and the the tribes actually pay for these kids to to play you can go there and your kid can play for free right yeah so you don't even have to go over the border it's all right here so there you go Mike. mike do you have a formula that you would give to people that are just starting out in lacrosse that maybe want to take it to the next level like a high school player that wants to go to college or a college player that wants to maybe play some post collegiate 
um, lacrosse. Um, do you have any advice for how these guys can ease that transition to the next level? Well, first of all, grades, right? I, I'm one, I'm a person who learned the hard way that a lot of options were taken away from me because I had bad grades. So if you can get exceptional grades, that's a, a, a big piece of the pie. And that's a great first step, right? Um, then in high school, obviously, you have to love it. You have to want to play every day. And sometimes that's, it's hard to manufacture that. Uh, some kids have it, some kids don't. And I don't know, I'm, the jury's still out with me if that's a skill or something that's learned, you know, to build a, a love for something like that. I think it may have to come organically. Um, but then obviously just playing a lot, right? And um, playing multiple sports I think is huge. I know I learned a lot from football and basketball that I carried over into lacrosse, and I thought I had an advantage over the kids that only played lacrosse um, because I learned those other skills or relationships or situations. Um, and then, uh, you know, college-wise, I think um, kids struggle taking criticism now. I, I'm not saying I didn't, but it's it's kind of out of hand now that, it's hard to criticize a kid or coach them and they can't not take it personally. And, uh, it, it slows down their process of development. So I'm always telling kids to be coachable and don't take them the, the message personally. Um, but understand that if a guy isn't coaching you, that means he doesn't even like you. And I know that's kind of cliche, but it's very true. Mike, you nailed it. I've been doing it 20 years at, at hockey. I'm done. I'm throwing in the – it's been a good 20 years. No one – I tried to ha explain constructive criticism. They didn't get it. They, no, nobody ever heard of it. And it's very tough. It's, it, it's tougher right now because I, I think that uh, somebody at home didn't do their job. And then sometimes you, you, the coaches blame, like, oh, control your team. C control my team. They can't control them at the dinner table. Are you fucking kidding me? So there's a lot of obstacles yeah. right now. I see your point of view, uh, James, and I. Uh, I thank you for your 20 years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it can get tough. But I think uh, you know the their parents are sometimes of my generation or my brothers and sisters' generation. So. Um, I get that each generation wants to make the life of their children easier, but sometimes that kind of deters them from putting, being them, putting themselves in situations like we're talking about. Um, but I think you have to, at some point you have to just make the kids um, know how much you care. Right. And that will ultimately make them work for you. And I think that um, when I was at Texas state, especially I did a lot of recruiting and I did a lot of scheduling and I did a lot of cool stuff, trips, um, you know, special home games for the guys. And they really liked that. And I think that made them buy back into the program and be like, I'm not going to talk back to this guy because he's doing all this work for me. Um, so that's, if, if we're talking about formulas, Kevin, I think that might be the biggest one. You have, uh, you've coached in the world championships. You've coached division one lacrosse. You've, uh, coached high school teams successfully uh every level of lacrosse uh so what what's next what's the next challenge i'm flattered you say that but um 
I run a travel team now here in San Antonio, and I've just taken a new high school position uh, at a high school called Alamo Heights, and I'm really excited about that job. They have uh, they have a lot of support from their school, which doesn't happen a lot in Texas. Um, so it's going to be a great opportunity to uh, kind of uh, you know bring that program up and uh, try to improve on what they've already done and you know take it to the next level so that's kind of the next step right there but um i have a three-year-old at home and i think um you know i'd like to at least try to coach all the way through his his uh career as a lacrosse player if he chooses to be one um chooses to have one but that's kind of the next step as well so there is some new challenges on the way sure well, Mike, we always appreciate you hustling and grinding. That's the way. That's the way we like it. I license to talk. Uh, Michael Brand is now uh, licensed to talk. Mike, you are a super farmer with caramelizing power. Thanks for coming on the show, and you are licensed to talk now, Mike Brand. Yeah, I was, thanks again for having me. This is great. I, I love the show. It's it's very uh, uh, brings me back home here, and your you got your accents on the. Uh, the, uh, on the podcast and all the all the all the guests you have are great and interesting and uh, I, I, I'm never not selling I'm always selling Western New York to people and how great the people are there and obviously miss you guys a lot and uh, thanks again for having me on Go what Bills did, what, Yeah, what did you want me to say? What, what was the line that you wanted me to say? <laughs> Frank and Joanne Frank and Joanne Drove down transit Drove down transit <laughs> From Lane from Lancaster to Amherst. From Lancaster to Amherst. Yes. All the A's just fly out of that sentence. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Mike. You are licensed to talk, and thanks for the support. Yeah, thanks, Brand. Thanks, you Brand. guys no. are great. All right. Use guys. <laughs> like so. Like so. Uh, thanks guys. a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. Obviously, uh, that was a good time. I got to get to work. All right, buddy. All right, thanks, Bye. Mike. Shake your butt, but don't break your back. Tap your feet and let your fingers snap. No matter what size, shape, or color, we don't care, so go ask your mother. Beats are flying so hard, you're taking cover. Like Heavy D, I'm the overweight lover. Rank and Joanne ran down trains from Andrews to Lancaster. Shot goes out to my man, TJG. And the rest of the SB fam. This has been Licensed to Talk. Follow us on Twitter at JCISL2T and Instagram, Licensed to Talk. Frank and Joanne ran down transit from Amherst to Lancaster.